0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. But today we're going to be looking at Romans 6 verses 1 through 11. So actually let's, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Romans 6 verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we also will, shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him, for the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading the hearing and the applying of His Word this morning. Amen. You may be seated. So I titled this message, Identifying with Jesus Through Baptism. However, the title is somewhat redundant. For baptism corresponds with or refers to identification. Baptism and identification go hand in hand. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, speaks of the Jews being baptized into Moses. He says, You were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And his point is not that they were dipped in water in the name of Moses, like we will see later today, the immersion in water in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His point is not that that happened in the name of Moses, but that the Jews were connected to, they were identified with Moses. In other words, they were identified with Moses and his deliverance by passing through the Red Sea and following God's presence in the cloud. And in the same way, those who participated in the baptism of John were identifying themselves with John's message of repentance. So while the word baptizo simply means to immerse, one can clearly see how being baptized or immersed into Jesus refers to being permanently connected to, permanently identified with Him. So when Paul here talks in Romans 6 about being baptized into Christ, he's talking about the very same thing we've actually been talking about in 1 Corinthians. Especially 1 Corinthians 6. Where we read that our bodies are both members of Christ and a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us. That we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's what 1 Corinthians teaches again and again, and that's why we talked about that unique connectedness that we have with Christ, that forever connectedness between Christ and His followers that is demonstrated in marriage, and we specifically talked about is demonstrated in the marriage bed, that there's this forever connectedness that we're living out, that we're playing out in that, and that we are indeed identified with Christ. So with that in mind, let's dig a little deeper into our text The first point in our sermon outline is number one, we identify with His crucifixion. We identify with Christ's crucifixion. Paul begins this section here in Romans 6 by saying, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He's just talked about the more we sin, he's talked about the beauty of the Gospel that as sin has increased, so is grace. That, That sin cannot nullify grace that there's, there's no sin that is too big for grace to handle. He says, grace has covered all of your sin. But then he says, so does that mean that we should continue in sin? That God may be glorified? That He'll, he'll give more grace? And he says, may it never be. May it never be. That is not the way we are to live. And he goes on to say, how shall we who died to sin still live in it. You're dead. you've died to sin. Why would you live in sin? Why would you subject yourselves to slavery when you've been set free? You've been enslaved and set free and you return to sin like a dog returns to its vomit, Scripture says. He says, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Did you catch that? It's incredible. He says, we have died... To sin. And he goes on to say exactly what that means by what he means by that statement. He says, Or do you not know, implying that they should know? He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, all of us who have been identified with, connected to Christ, all of us who have tasted salvation, all of us who have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death? Now, in an effort to avoid any confusion here, please understand that Paul is not just talking about water baptism. His language certainly is intentional in pointing to the act of being baptized in water. He has this in mind. And he knows that as he talks about baptism, his readers will naturally think of their own baptism. They'll think of being immersed in water. And hopefully that as, as we go through this text, you remember and think back to your own baptism. That when you, when you were indeed baptized in Water, if indeed you were. But Paul has something far greater in mind here as well. You see, Paul never disconnects the physical act of water baptism from the spiritual reality that it represents. In other words, it's important for us to remember that water baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. That water baptism is an outward expression, it's it's an acting out of what is already happened in us. I often say when we take communion that we're putting on a play. And in some sense we are. We're acting out the gospel every month when we celebrate communion, and when we celebrate communion coming up on Monday, Thursday, we're going to be acting out the gospel. It's like putting on a play. And in the same way, baptism is an acting out of the gospel. And it's not just an acting out of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, by the way but it's also an acting out of our death, burial, and resurrection. As we'll see from today's text. Often we think of baptism as an acting out of what Christ, what what happened when Christ was, uh, when He died, when He was buried, and when He was risen to newness of life. But in, in some sense, it's also a picture of our death, our burial, and our resurrection. See, just as communion does not save us, but points back to what Christ has already done, points back to the fact that Christ has already saved us, so we must also realize that baptism does not save us, but points back to what Christ has already done in us and for us. That's, by the way, why it's appropriate only for believers to be baptized. Just like we say it's appropriate for believers to partake of communion, because it's a picture of what Christ has done for that believer. In the same way, it's only appropriate for believers to be baptized. Because it's a pointing back to what Christ has done for that person. So we we don't baptize babies. We baptize those who can make a profession of faith. We do not stand with some who say that baptism replaces circumcision or replaces the act of circumcision in in, uh, the New Testament. While I respect many who hold that position, I think we Clearly, look at the New Testament scriptures, and we see even when the issue of circumcision comes up, and should believers be circumcised, the the topic of baptism is never mentioned. Not once did any apostle say, Whoa, wait a minute. Of course, we shouldn't be baptized. We've got baptism. We shouldn't be circumcised. We've got baptism. Remember? That's never brought up. Instead, they say, Why would you place somebody under this burden of circumcision? Baptism does not replace circumcision. It's not pointing forward to a promise, but instead pointing back to the fulfillment of a promise that has happened in the life of a believer. So when we read that we've been baptized into his death, please know that Paul is not saying that the act of water baptism causes us to die, but instead it points to the fact that we have died. Baptism does not bring about spiritual change. Instead, it's a reenactment of what God has done. See, identifying with the crucifixion is not merely to say that we relate to the suffering of Jesus. So when I talk about that, that baptism identifies us with the crucifixion, it's not that we somehow say, well, I relate to the crucifixion. I understand in some way that story resonates with me. Instead, we identify with the crucifixion because the Bible teaches that we were crucified with Him. That when He was crucified, that believers, we as believers, were crucified with Him. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. 2 Corinthians 5.14 and then in verse 17, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, or 17, he is a new creature, the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 5.24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, Scripture teaches that all who are in Christ have died with Him. And this obviously does not refer to physical death. Right? Most of us, hopefully all of us here today as we sit here, are not experiencing physical death. Hopefully we are alive physically. But instead, it points to the fact that we are by faith joined to the death of Christ on the cross. In other words, We identify with His death because there's a union, there's a connectedness that exists between us and Christ that makes His death on the cross appropriate payment for our sins. See, without that connection, without that union, His sacrifice is still sufficient payment. Without that connectedness to Christ, it's not as though His sacrifice wasn't sufficient payment, it's just that it's not applied to our account, one of the things that's become popular in every public place is these AEDs, these automated external defibrillators. I don't know if you've seen them. You see them in churches, you see them in Walmart, you see them everywhere. Because people's hearts stop and you place these patches, these little defibrillator patches on somebody's chest and it shocks their heart, it shocks their heart back into beating again. It, it jump starts their heart and a connection is made where they're brought back to life. But the thing with those AEDs, if the pads are not placed on the chest, if there's no proper connection made, they may have the power to save, but they don't save. The the AED can hang on the wall, but the connection needs to be made with the dying or dead person. And in the same way, the connection needs to be made between us and Christ in order for that payment to be applied to our account. And Scripture teaches that we we died with Christ. That that payment is appropriate because we were in Him and He is in us. Therefore, His payment is sufficient and His payment is applied to our account. This does not mean, however, that all sin is removed from our lives at the point of conversion. We're still prone to sin, as we'll see later. But Paul's point is that the old self that was enslaved by sin was crucified with Jesus. It hung on the cross. And thus we have this new found freedom. John Piper says it this way. He says, there's a union between Christ and Christians so that what happened to Christ is counted by God as happening to us. His death is our death. That is why Paul says, here in this context, these are my words, Paul says here in this context, verse 2, we died to sin. And he says in verse 3, all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into His death. In verse 6, he goes so far as to say our old sin was crucified. Our old self was crucified with Him. So having seen that, number one, we identify with His crucifixion, we now see, number two, that we identify with His burial. Paul says in verse 4, Therefore, he says, in light of the fact that we are dead. Therefore, in light of that fact, we have been buried with Him. The fact that Christ was buried on the third day, or was raised on the third day, the fact that He was buried before being raised on the third day is an important part of the Gospel. Why? Because His burial proves that He actually died. You see, you don't bury the living. That's why 1 Corinthians 5, verses 3-6 through says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received. He goes on to to tell the Gospel. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried, proving that He died. That He died and that He was buried, proving that He died and that He was raised on the third day and He appeared to Peter and the twelve and then to many others. Again, proof that He was resurrected. He says He died, He was buried, that was proof. And He was raised and He appeared to others and that was proof, the appearing was proof that He was indeed resurrected. See, Jesus didn't swoon as some of the Muslims and many others proposed. He didn't fall into some deep sleep whereby He hung on the cross, He was tortured, He fell asleep, He was placed in a tomb, and then He just woke up. He died and He was buried. He was truly dead. Because burial signifies true death. Having officiated a number of funerals, I can see the importance of the burial process. It it provides a sense of closure for the family of the deceased. And that's a big part of of the reason why it's so important to recover a dead person's body and provide a proper burial. It provides a sense of closure that otherwise doesn't exist. The family oftentimes lives in this this world where they're still, they they know the person is gone, but they're almost expecting them to return. And the burial process provides that closure. For those of us who have had to bury a loved one, we know that leaving the gravesite can be a very hard thing to do. Because in doing so, you're saying that your loved one's death is real. It is for those who are left on this earth a kind of final goodbye. It's oftentimes a time where that which has felt like a bad dream is finally seen as reality, And you can see on the family's face when a loved one is buried, just the reality of the situation when it's time to go. And the reality of we're leaving this situation, there's closure, there's an ending to this. Because burial points to the reality of death. So having seen, number one, that we identify with His crucifixion, that our old self was crucified with Him... And number two, that we identify with His burial, that just as He was really put to death, so we also really died. It wasn't as though we suffered. It wasn't as though that we suffered in Christ. We died in Christ. The old self was really dead. It is really finalized. Our old self was proven to be dead. By the way, that's why somebody is baptized once. right? They're baptized Once, because this points, the act of water baptism points to something that happened once and for all. They didn't continue to die, they truly died. The old self died and they were raised to newness of life. So we don't need to be baptized again and again and again. It's something that we demonstrate what Christ did for us once. Now That being said, as we'll talk later, there are sometimes those who are baptized who maybe never really had that experience. And it's not that they are being baptized again, but they are indeed being baptized for the first time ever. So we see that we identify with His crucifixion. Our old self was crucified with Him. We identify with His burial, that we were truly dead. Truly dead. Now we see, number three, we identify with His resurrection. Look at verses 4 through 5 again. Verses 4 through 5 of Romans 6 says this Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, for the believer and for the unbeliever, burial points to something much different. For the unbeliever, burial is a sign of finality. But for the believer, in some sense it is a sign of finality, but it's also a sign of expectation. Because we understand the resurrection. We understand that we are indeed raised with Christ. So it doesn't speak any less to the reality of death but for the believer, burial points to the hope that we have. The hope in the resurrection of our bodies. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3-18 through says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus' For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a beautiful text. It's a beautiful text of the reality that when a believer is buried into the ground, there's a picture of finality, but there's also a picture of future expectation and hope that we, we're buried in the ground looking forward to the day when Christ returns. Right, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What a picture of hope. That the dead in Christ will come up out of the ground. That we bury our loved ones, fully expecting them to be raised to newness of life. It's a wonderful reality. But when Paul speaks to being united with Christ in His resurrection, he doesn't just mean the future resurrection of our bodies. He certainly means that. But he's also referring to the newness of life that every believer now has in Christ. He's talking about the hope that we now have, the newness that we now have in Jesus. As Jesus said in John 3.3, He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says you must be born again. You must be made new. And this is indeed what happens when one is transferred from the kingdom of darkness To the kingdom of light. We're made new. We're born again. The old self is crucified. It's put to death. And we are raised to newness of life. Praise God for that. I remember I I grew up, as you know, in Waldeboro. I didn't grow up as a believer. became a believer at 19 years old. I remember working in ministry at uh, First Baptist in Waldeboro. And I remember people coming in and going, what are you doing here, right? Now, literally, what are you doing here? And I, I wanted to say, I don't know who you're talking about. Who, who are you referring to? Well, you're Jason Pauly, right? Uh, no, he's dead. Is what I wanted? I want to say, no, uh, he's dead. He doesn't exist anymore. I'm new. I was born uh, just a couple of years ago, actually. You see, the guy you're talking about, he died. Because in reality, the old Jason is dead. He's gone. A new Jason lives. So, the question we must ask as we work through this text is if we're already dead in our trespasses and sins, right, which Scripture clearly, clearly teaches, and I talk about week after week, if we're already dead in our trespasses and sins, how did we die? Why does Paul say, you're, he says again and again, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and now he says, and you died, so you could be raised to newness of life. How do the dead die? The answer is that the old self, the old self has been crucified, right? That the old self has been crucified with Christ and we've been raised to newness of life. In other words, that the old self which was dead and was waiting for the full consummation of death, namely eternal separation from God and hell, was crucified. That our dead selves that were waiting for the full consummation of that death was crucified and we were raised to newness of life. So now, we await the full consummation of our resurrection. That I've been raised to newness of life, and now I'm waiting out the full consummation of that newness of life, namely, eternity in heaven with God. So there's this already but not yet picture that is painted by Paul. So having seen that we identify with His crucifixion, that our old self was crucified. We identify with His burial. That our old self was proven to be dead. Finished. Ended. Once and for all. Number three, that we identify with His resurrection. That just as He was raised from the dead, so too were we in Him. Now fourthly and lastly, we see that we identify with His victory. Praise God. We identify with His victory. Look at verses 6-11 through 11 with me. Romans 6, 6-11. through 11. Paul says, Our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. But death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, Paul says, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When Paul says in verse 6 that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, he's not referring to sin no longer existing in our lives. He doesn't say, Christ died so that you no longer need to struggle with sin. If you had a picture into my life this past week, you would recognize that there very much was indeed a struggle with sin. And I'm sure that if we could play on this screen the events of your life this past week, we would see that there was indeed a struggle with sin. I had a professor one time who said that when he was in Bible college, he had a friend who claimed perfection in Christ, that he no longer sinned uh, anymore. So he said... He said, I stomped on his toe and he swore at me. And I said, well, I guess that proves that's wrong. (laughs) Not that I would recommend doing that, right? See, we still struggle with sin. But Paul says that the body of sin, the old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be done away with. So what does this done away with mean? The Greek word is katargeo. It's a great word. Katargeo. Which carries the idea of rendering inactive or invalid, of being completely stripped of power. So to be dead to sin means we no longer need to be controlled by our sinful nature. Before Christ, we were slaves to sin. And now, we have a new master. Sin continues to exist, but we're no longer dominated by it. Robert Mounts sums up this idea well when he says, Christ's resurrection broke forever the tyranny of death. That cruel master can no longer exercise any power over Him. The cross was sin's final move. The resurrection was God's checkmate. The game is over. Sin is forever in defeat. You see, Jesus, through His death on the cross, defeated sin and death And as members of His body, we too are participants in that victory. That we were in Christ, and that His victory is our victory. Not that we don't battle sin, but that we can battle sin. You see, prior to 19 years old, I didn't battle sin. But this past week, I battled sin. We still face temptation, but now we can strive against it. We can live in victory today knowing that sin has been stripped of its power in our lives. It's nothing more than a defeated foe. It's a defeated foe in the throes of death. Sin and death has been stripped of its power. So to review, we identify with His crucifixion that our old self has been crucified. We identify with His burial that our old self was proven dead, that it is finished. It is done. We identify with His resurrection that just as He was raised from the dead, so too are we. And we identify with His victory that our body of sin was done away with. It was stripped of its power through His putting death to death. See what died? Death died. Death died on the cross. Therefore, it's stripped its power. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and collectively, specifically, apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this and live in light of it? Well, number one, we need to examine ourselves to see that we have indeed been identified with, connected to Christ. So we need to surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to live We must die. We must lay down our lives. We must be willing to die in order to live. We have to remember that if we are a believer, that He is in us, and we are in Him. But if we are not a believer, that sin has mastery over our lives. Instead, we need to identify with Him. Identify with His crucifixion, His burial, His resurrection, and ultimately His victory. If you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to come talk to me after the service. To talk to Bill, to talk to Mark. We would love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I assure you it's not saying a prayer. It's not walking an aisle. It's not any of those things. That those are maybe evidences of a life that's committed to Christ. But in and of themselves, they don't produce a life that is in Christ. But instead, something miraculous happens. That when we become a follower of Jesus, when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, that we are identified with Him, we're forever connected to Him, that we are nailed to the cross, that somehow God transports us back in time so that at the crucifixion, we are nailed to the cross with Him, that the old self is dead and buried, gone, and that we're raised to newness of life with His resurrection, and then we're given victory through His victory. And I encourage you to Speak to us more about what that means if you are not a follower. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. It's an act of obedience. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's an opportunity for you to preach the Gospel. As Mark said earlier, it's a, it's a simple step. It's a baby step. It's a first step, so to speak. And I would challenge you. I would say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not willing to get wet... What are you willing to do? Right? The Scripture is plain. It says, follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. Act out this sign, this outward sign of an inward reality. I would encourage you to make that bold proclamation of the reality of what He's done for you. And thirdly, I would encourage all of us to live in light of the Gospel. To daily identify with His crucifixion and burial. To remember that the old self is dead. That we no longer need to live in the deeds of the flesh. That sexual immorality and lying, that those things, that greed, that the deeds of the flesh, that those things are things we no longer need to live in. But instead, that person is dead. It no longer has mastery. Those things no longer have mastery over us. But instead, we daily identify with His crucifixion and burial. We daily identify with His resurrection that a new self has been born. And we can now live out the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That those things should be evident in our lives as we identify with His resurrection. That we too have been raised to newness of life. And then we daily identify with His victory. That we can live in expectation and freedom. Freedom knowing that sin no longer not only has mastery over us, but the effect of sin has been stripped away. The power has been stripped away because Christ paid the penalty. And some may say, what shall we say then? Are you saying that we can go and live any way we want because sin has been stripped of its power? And I say, may it never be. That's Paul's point. Sin has been stripped of its power in your lives. Why would you sin any longer? Instead, live for the Lord. Battle sin. Fight daily, living in light of the Gospel. Remembering what He did for you in His crucifixion, His burial, His resurrection. And remembering that you are partakers in that. So as we come to the part of the service where Mark is actually going to follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. I would encourage you to think about it in this way, that it is pointing to Christ's crucifixion, His burial, His resurrection, His being raised to newness of life, His victory over sin. But it's also pointing to Mark's crucifixion, His burial, His resurrection, and being raised to newness of life that it's not just that Christ did those things, but that Christ did those things and that Mark was in Christ and is in Christ. That it is an act of obedience saying, I am connecting myself with Christ, I'm identifying myself with Christ, not because I need saving, but because I am identified with Him because I have been saved. It's a glorious picture of praise what Christ has done for us. Let's pray, and then I'm going to have Mark come up and follow the Lord in that way. Father God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for the mercy you've shown us. God, I pray that you would indeed be with us. God, that you'd give us a beautiful picture of the gospel. Help us to have eyes to see this picture that is going to be presented before us to see it in a marvelous way, to see it in such a way that You are indeed glorified. God, I pray that as we look to this baptism, not just our baptism by water, but instead the grace that You showed us through our spiritual baptism, our being born again, the dying of ourselves, the being raised to newness of life, and the victory over sin that we now have. God, be with us. Encourage us. Bless us. Be with Mark. God, I pray that you'd work mightily in his life and use this act of obedience as a means to encourage him and take further steps of obedience in you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.